0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So I'm excited because today we're starting a brand new series. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few years back, there was this movement um, that started, well, actually, it started a long time before that, but it became really, really popular a few years back. In fact, uh, somebody once gave me a bracelet um, that had four little blocks of plastic. It might have been wood, but I think it was plastic, and it was painted white, and on those little wooden blocks were four letters, and those letters were WWJD. What would Jesus do? And they were everywhere. They weren't just on bracelets, they were on shirts, they were on glasses. I mean, everywhere you went, bumper stickers, you saw it everywhere. What would Jesus do? Now, it didn't actually start then. This whole idea of uh, what would Jesus do was actually introduced to us uh, back in 1896. There was a pastor whose name was Charles Sheldon, and he was from Topeka, Kansas, and he wrote a book, a little tiny book, a novel, that was called In His Steps. And in this little novel, um, he talked about living in a small town and all of the challenges that you face when you live in a small town, different situations that come up. And what he said in his novel, what what the whole theme was, was that whenever one of those situations would come up, he would say, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And so in 1896 is when it all started. And that little book that he wrote, it sold over 30 million copies And then for some reason it took a hiatus for a hundred years and a hundred years later it came up again and everybody started talking about it. What would Jesus do? Well today uh, what I want to do is I want to introduce us to this new series that we're starting and I want to ask a question that is related to this but it's not exactly this. It's not what would Jesus do, WWJD to this, for our series, I want to ask the question WWJU, what would Jesus undo? Given everything that we have read that Jesus said, and all of the things that we've read that He's done, if He was physically here today, looking around at what the Jesus followers of our time today are like, those of us who call ourselves Christians, if He looked, at the Christians that we're living today, what would he look at and say, man, if there was one thing that I really, really need to stop everyone from doing, what would that be? What are the things that he would look at the Jesus followers of today and say, man, this is not what I gave my life up for. This is not how things were supposed to be going. What is it that I would change? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different things that I believe that if Jesus came here physically like he did 2,000 years ago, that he would look at us and say, these are the things that we need to undo. And today I want to introduce the series by telling you a little story. Uh, When I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I uh, I attended a co-ed boarding school. And uh, I think it was because my parents couldn't handle having me at home anymore. And so they decided, well, I'm going to ship him off. And uh, so I went to a co-ed boarding school. And at a co-ed boarding school, there's no proms. They had banquets. And you got together with the girls who were in a different dorm on the other side of campus. And and you asked one of them to go with you. And you went to a a nice banquet in the cafeteria. It's basically the same food, just with extra green on the side, you know. (laughs) And then you walked down to the chapel afterwards and you watched a movie. It was great. Well, there was this young lady who I really, really wanted to impress. And what they do is they let you write invitations. There's a night just for the invitations. And all of the, the men, young men in the boys' dorm, would uh, write their invitations. And then someone would gather them all and bring them to the girls' dorm and distribute the invitations. Wait for an hour... And then the girls would send their responses. Someone would pick those up, bring them back to the boys' dorm, and distribute the answers. Well, there was this girl I wanted to impress her. And I was taking a photography class at the time. And so I I made this huge poster... Um, that I did like multiple exposures on so were there a whole bunch of pictures of me which you know in the Photoshop age is so easy to do but when you're doing that in a dark room I mean I had to stack the machine up like on boxes to get it big enough to go onto the paper that I specially bought and it was just like I knew exactly what what, what it would look like and it came out perfectly. And then I got a couple of roses and I rolled them up inside the thing. And, and there was a nice little a ribbon around it. And I thought to myself, this is definitely going to get her to say yes. Right, some of you are going, okay, I know where the story is headed. Well. well, so the guys collect them all and they send them back. They head over to the girls' dorm. And those of us who are guys who did not have a girlfriend at the school, we're all, you know, like sitting in the lobby waiting. All the guys that had girlfriends, they already know who they're going with. But we're just sitting there going, okay, 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 we're watching the time. Finally, the young lady comes back with the boxes that we had sent over with the responses. Right, And the responses are usually just an envelope and a piece of paper because they don't know who's going to ask them and so all they do is they write an answer and so when they bring the boxes back over they're handing out okay this guy room number this this person that they're handing them all out and I'm waiting and waiting (laughs) and waiting (laughs) And, and she never calls my name Never calls my room number, and so I'm thinking, what in the world? So she ends up leaving, and I, I'm I, I don't understand. And so now I'm thinking I might have offended this girl, um, or she might have suddenly realized who it was, and now she's like, no way. And I remember that there's a, a room that is right opposite the the uh, the front. Um, the check-in thing where the guy sits behind the desk and checks people in. There's a room opposite that on the other side of the lobby. And that's where we were. And that's where the boxes were. And so I looked into the box and in the bottom of one of the boxes was my invitation. It had been opened, but it was just sitting there at the bottom. And I was, well, you know, it's like 10 years later now. <laughs> it's 10 years in change, right? It's a little bit later now, and so I can laugh at it. But at the time, it was absolutely devastating to me. I had gone through all of that to prepare this perfect gift, and, and it appears that the person got it, and it wasn't really that significant for them. And that's tough. After all I did, not even a letter acknowledging it, not even a note saying, never in a million years. <laughs> Nothing. And I think about that, and, and then I think, imagine Jesus. He's in heaven, where everything is perfect, everything is just full of love and full of joy, and He's in this perfect place, and He looks down at us, and He says, listen, Those guys down there are really struggling. I'm going to put together a gift for them that they aren't even going to believe. I mean, it's going to be the best gift that I can possibly give them. I'm going to wrap myself up and go down there in the midst of their heartache and their pain and their suffering and their loss. I am going to give them everything that I am. And He comes here. And He comes here and He starts this movement that 2,000 years later we're still part of today. But He starts this movement and He tells us, listen, He's going to hand out to us forgiveness of our sins. We we don't have to pay the price anymore. We, We don't have to pay the price for something we could never pay the price for anyway. So He gives this to us. He gives us the ability to have the living Word of God at our fingertips. In fact, if you're like me, you know, there's a, there, I love this Bible, but I'm fast approaching the place where I can't use it anymore because the letters are too small. Uh, and so, fortunately, I have electronic devices so that I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards a bigger letter Bible, right? But we have it available here in our hands. That as Jesus was here, that he told stories and he gave lessons that don't just apply to Christians, but they apply to everybody. right? That whose life wouldn't be better, whether you're a Christian or not, if you treated your neighbor as good as yourself? That whose life wouldn't be better, whether you were a Christian or not, if you were more generous to people? That if you you went out and did more than you had to do? Whose life wouldn't be better? And he hands all of this to us. And then for those of us who make that step and decide that we want to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe for some of you here, you're not a follower of Jesus yet. And so you get to listen in on this conversation because you get to see that, listen, we don't just become a follower of Jesus so that we can come into a room once a week and and sing some songs and hear some guy up at the front yab at us for about an hour. No, not an hour. I know what you're thinking. No, it's not going to be an hour. But that's not what it's about. That as followers of Jesus, Jesus gave us a spiritual purpose. That there's a reason that we're here. And as a church, you know, one of the things that we've decided is, listen, one of the reasons that we're here is because we're going to invite strangers to church. We're going to invite strangers in and give them an opportunity to meet Jesus, to have their lives changed the way that He changed our lives. And with all of that that he's given us, way too many of us, even me, get to this place where we have all of this and we just leave it at the bottom of the box and we don't do anything about it. That we have this beautiful gift, these beautiful gifts that were given to us, and we just put them aside as if they don't mean anything. So what would Jesus undo? Today, the thing I want to talk about is, I think that what would Jesus want to undo is, He'd want to undo spiritual indifference. Indifference, not caring. Because this is kind of the generation, the time that we're in, right? There's so much noise out there of, this is going on, and the world is going to end because of this, and these guys are doing this, and you can't believe what's going on here, that when we hear it, we just kind of go eh. i mean we 've had too many politicians tell us that the world is ending in five years and six years and seven years and ten years and fifteen years, and so the next time someone says, oh, hey, there 's this new disaster, and the world is going to end, we look at them, we just go, eh. Eh, whatever Now this is nothing new in fact, the the text that we 're going to look at today in in, in scripture is actually um, one of the letters that Jesus wrote to churches uh, that were back in the time when the church first started. Uh, There are seven letters that he wrote to seven different churches, and they're found in the book of Revelation. And today we're going to look at the letter that he wrote to a church called Laodicea. There you go. I always liked having intro music. Now, the church in Laodicea, Laodicea was an interesting city. And some of you, if you grew up in church, if you grew up reading the Bible, Laodicea is probably a very familiar sounding name to you. But Laodicea Laodicea was a city and and 35 years, about 35 years before uh, this letter was written, um, Laodicea had a huge earthquake and the entire city was destroyed. It was gone. It was like rubble. But 35 years later, people went into that rubble, into that nothingness, and they built up a brand new city. I mean, it was like Las Vegas. You go out into the desert, there's nothing there, and somebody just builds up this brand new city. Or for any of you who have been to Dubai, and you saw before it was a big city, it was just nothing, a wasteland of desert, and now it is this bright, shining, huge, rich city, that was Laodicea. It was a beautiful place. And people wanted to go there. And it was wealthy. The problem with Laodicea was that they didn't have water. So they shipped in, not shipped in, but they piped in water from do, two different cities. They piped in hot water from a city called Colosse Because Colosse had a lot of hot springs. And so they piped the water in from there. And then they piped in cold, refreshing water from a city called Hierapolis. The problem was, was that by the time the water that was nice and cool and refreshing from Hierapolis got to Laodicea, and by the time that the water that was from those hot springs that, 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 that really, you know, they had a purpose, both. The hot springs was kind of medicinal, the, the cool water, the cool springs was kind of refreshing, But by the time both of those sources got their water into Laodicea, the water was dirty, it was tepid, it was lukewarm. And so Jesus, in writing this letter to the church in Laodicea, he is going to use something that they understood because of where they were. And sometimes I think we don't understand it because we didn't get it. It would be like if 2,000 years from now, somebody who is living in... Europe, somewhere, read a story and they said, yeah, the sadness crept across San Francisco like the morning fog. Well, if you've never been to San Francisco, you wouldn't understand what that morning fog is and how it creeps in. You would just think, okay, fog. I I kind of understand it, but you don't really get the concept. Here, he was talking to this church in Laodicea and he was going to talk about hot and cold water And they knew exactly what he was talking about because they were dealing with that issue at the time. And so this is what he says. Because he looked at this community. And he looked at the fact that this was a church in a city that was lukewarm. That was spiritually indifferent. And in Revelation 3.15, this is how the letter goes. He says, I know... All the things you do. In other words, I am not just saying this from a distance far away. I know exactly what's going on in your city. I know all of the things that all of you are doing. I know. As if I was there, I know all the things that you were doing. And then listen to what he says. That you are neither hot nor cold. And this, to the people in Laodicea, would start ringing bells in their head because they understand this that there was not hot water or cold water coming into them. He says, I know how you're living. And there is hot water and that hot water has a purpose and there is cold water and the cold water has a purpose and you are neither hot nor cold. You are not fulfilling your purpose. In verse 16 he goes on and he says, But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth you see he's saying to them listen you are spiritually stale you are something that is repulsive to me that what i see going on in your city right now doesn't just break my heart it makes me sick to my stomach and the challenge for you and me as we look at this is this have you ever put have you ever tasted something that just made you want to spit it out Actually, that, that phrase spit you out is, is actually more uh, or better translated as vomit. Right? Mm. Have you ever had something in your mouth and then, and then you were like, and you just spit it out because it was so disgusting? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have. Mm, yes. You know what's the interesting thing about those things that you put in your mouth and they're so bad that you spit them out? When you put them in, they look okay. Right? No one opens up a gallon of milk and says on the other side, Oh, 2016. <laughs> kind of chunky. I think I'll give it a try. Right? No one does that. When you put something in your mouth, you normally put something in your mouth that you think is going to taste good. That's going to be accomplishing its purpose. And it's not until it's in there and that you start to taste it that you see that it's disgusting. And then you spit it out. This was the church in Laodicea. And when they saw it, at first glance, it looked like there was a lot going on. It looked like this was good stuff happening here. But when you got in, when you tasted it, you saw it was neither hot nor cold. It was lukewarm. And I just wanted to barf it out of my mouth. So today... I want to talk specifically about uh, two causes of spiritual indifference in your life and in mine. And listen, if you're not a Christian, I want you to, to take a minute, because this is, this is a week that you get off, right? Because I, we're not talking uh, specifically to non-Christians today. But non-Christians, if you're listening to us, if you're watching us online, I want you to hear this, because I want you to know and I want you to see that we sitting here, those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, we don't believe that this is it. We believe that we're called to something more than what we do here on the weekend. Two causes of spiritual indifference, and and Jesus kind of points them out in this letter. And, And it's these attitudes that we have that make us spiritually indifferent. And the first one is this, is the attitude that we don't need anything. We don't need anything. Look look at what Jesus says in the letter. He goes on in the same letter in the next verse. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Isn't that us today? I mean, we can drive through a, a little driveway and a window magically appears and a lovely young lady hands us hot, fresh coffee. I mean, come on. How amazing is that? I can walk over and grab my phone, and while I'm talking to you, I can order stuff on Amazon, and by the time I get home, it'll be there. If it's, you know, same-day delivery. Right? We, we watch TV, and we see these, these ads for, for, for like a Snuggie. Have you seen the Snuggie? So the big thing this year is the blanket sweater. It's like a hoodie except it's a whole sweater and it goes all the way down to there and you just put it on and you can walk around and then when you sit down on the couch you just wrap yourself up in it and you're all nice and warm so that you can watch Christmas movies on the Harmock Channel. (laughs) We're dealing with the same stuff that they were dealing with. That we have everything. That we don't have any need for anything. Even the poorest people that live in our country today Live better than 90% of the people in the rest of the world. Think about that. We don't need anything. Our lives are full of stuff. And yet, based on what research is telling us, is that we've never been at a time where we've never felt more restless and more unfulfilled. That we can buy anything that we want and still not feel like we're satisfied. So the first attitude is, we don't need anything, but the second one, and maybe the one that really is the biggest problem for too many of us, is that we're distracted by everything. We're distracted by everything. He goes on in this verse, actually, um, let's go on to the next one, we're distracted by everything. Jesus tells this parable, this story about uh, a a person who's throwing seeds uh, to be planted, and... He says that there's in this story, he talks about these seeds where they didn't take root the way that they expected them to. And the Mark writes it down like this, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. The lure of wealth, the worries of this life. Now, Come on, we can all relate to that, right? We've got places to be. We've got bills to pay. We've got people to see. We have kids that we need to take here and there. We've got to get the oil changed in the car. We have to find somebody to mow the lawn, which is not really a lawn. It's like a five-by-five five patch of grass out in front of our house. But we have this illusion of lawn, and so we have to hire somebody to actually mow it when you probably do it faster with a pair of scissors. Right? And then we look around us in the entire world, and we look around, and, and we start latching on to these things like, you know, we have, to, we have to save the whales, or stop using plastic straws, which I'm never going to do, because of that lady with a metal straw, ask me about that later. And so we have all of these things that are coming at us at full speed. All of these distractions, all of these things that are input, that are taking up bandwidth in our lives. And we start to feel overwhelmed by them because sometimes, have you ever felt like you're barely keeping up? Like all of the things that are happening, and not all of them are bad. A lot of them are good things. Things that we're putting into our lives because they're good things. But they're coming at us so fast that we actually end up not doing anything. And he says that the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, they all crowd out our lives. And listen to what he says at the end. So no fruit is produced. In other words, there's nothing that is growing out of us that's doing anyone any good. There's this quote that I love, and it talks about The the numbness that sometimes we feel. It it says this. It says, feeling numb isn't the absence of feeling, but the sensation of feeling too much at once. And for many of us, there are so many things in our lives that distract us that we feel numb to it. And so we just start thinking, you know what? I just need to get by. And we start telling ourselves that I am good enough with just a little bit of Jesus on the weekends, and I will just skate in under the line. And it's not. It's not enough. And there are so many reasons why. I I I started to list down the things that for me uh, are... that I see in myself, and maybe you might see yourself in this, the things that that help to contribute to the spiritual indifference. Like... um, Sometimes I think we're more concerned with impressing people than with living a life that impresses God. Maybe because we, we don't hear an audible voice from God that we want to hear the audible voice of people around us telling us how good we're doing. Sometimes I think we get too involved in the things that are happening on earth and we forget about the fact that we have an opportunity to change someone else's eternity. And so we just think about what's happening here today instead of the fact that we have... We have opportunities all the time to, to make a difference in somebody's tomorrow and somebody's forever. Sometimes I think we, one of the things that we do is we rationalize sin. We rationalize the things that we know that we're not supposed to do. And listen, Paul wrote many, many times and, and he talked about this several times where he said, you know, there are things that I don't want to do, I know I shouldn't be doing, I do them anyway. And there's things that I know I should be doing and I don't do them and I don't understand why. It's not a struggle that is new. It's something that we all struggle with. But the problem happens when we start to say, yeah, "It's okay. I can live with a little bit of it. I think sometimes we start to feel indifferent when when we get to these places where we really believe in what we believe, but we're too scared to share it with anyone else. And this could very well just be me. But just in case this is you too, here's the problem that I see. The more that I know that I don't share, the more opportunities that I have to share that I don't take, the more I start to lose the passion I have for who I know Jesus can be in my life because I don't take the time to share him with someone else and give him an opportunity in their lives. How about this one? Sometimes I think I only turn to God when I need him. Man, if something is going on and I can't think about anything else and it's a health issue or it's family and I'm just like, God, I need you, God, I need you. I'm praying day and night. And then sometimes when things are going really, really well, we forget. Or we just don't have time. And what ends up happening is that we are not any different from the world around us that doesn't know Jesus. Now, I, I probably have said this before, but a few years ago, the Barna Research Group, which is the largest Christian uh, research uh, organization in the United States, but they did, a, they did a survey on Christians and non-Christians to see what they feel about certain things, about um, divorce, um, stealing, just random uh, things that, that uh, we deal with. And uh, what they found out was, was that Christians and non-Christians are statistically even in how they feel about all those things. Which means Jesus followers, we feel as a whole feel exactly the same way as the rest of the world does about all the key issues. About divorce, about premarital sex, about abortion, uh, on politics, on religion. That we are statistically the same as people who are not followers of Jesus. That we... Don't have anything in us that's different. And I don't think that it's because we don't have anything in us that it's different. I think it's because we don't take those opportunities to make a difference. So, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's a whole list of things that I could tell you. In fact, a lot of the things you probably could tell yourself. If you've been in church for a long time, I think you know already that there are things that you can do that they're going to make a change in your spiritual life. I'm going to, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to, I'm going to be more generous. I'm, I'm going to uh, help other people more than I can. There's a lot of things that we could list. But here, we like to keep it simple. And so I want to keep it simple. That over this next four weeks, that if we could just make a concerted effort as a church together to just do this one thing, to try to break this sense of spiritual indifference, and maybe it's not you. And praise God for you if it's not you. Maybe you are at this time and this season in your walk that with God that everything is going great. But if you're not, then what I want to challenge you with and what I am going to challenge myself with is this is that every day we do something that requires faith. Every day we just do one thing that requires us to trust Jesus. Because here's the thing. For many people, stopping to pray for two or three minutes in the morning before you go on with the rest of your day, and that requires a lot of trust. Because the biggest reason why people don't stop and spend time with God in the morning is because they don't trust that that five, ten minutes that they spend in the morning is going to be made up somewhere else. That they're going to be penalized for it instead of that God is going to take that and use it to make the rest of their day better and more productive. The same thing is with giving, where we don't give uh, we are not generous to other people because we're worried that when we give, that it's a loss. And we don't trust that when God's word says give and it will be given unto you, that that actually is something. That when we give, that we get something. And I'm not talking you give $5 and you get $10. It's not a slot machine. It's that there's a benefit that comes to you. Every day, Do something that requires faith this is how this is how Jesus would end end it up in in verse 20 this is how he closes out this letter he says look i stand at the door and knock if you hear my voice and open the door i will come in and we shall share a meal Together as friends. See, he's talking about spiritual indifference. He's talking to this church and he says, Listen, you've got to change. You've got to do something different. And then at the very end of it, he says, I am there waiting for you. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. And you don't have to clean your house. You don't have to pick up all of the stuff in the living room and clear a space so we can sit down. You don't have to go and get something for me to drink. You don't have to do anything. You just have to know that I'm at the door. And I'm knocking. And if you open the door, if you take that step, that all he wants to do is to step into your life and make a difference that He is going to be the catalyst for removing that indifference in us and allowing all of us to step into the purpose that He called for each of us to live into. Because what changes in us, what makes us go from lukewarm to hot or lukewarm to cold what makes us go from from lukewarm to being a, a, a catalyst for healing or a catalyst for refreshment is simply allowing Jesus to make the difference. Opening the door and letting Him in. Accepting the gift that He gave us. And we can do that. And the way that I'm challenging you us to start. Even if it's just for this week, every day, let's do one thing that requires faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.